Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. And this is your host, Robbie Martin. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you so and, much. And thank you so much for all of your Patreon donations. If you haven't contributed yet to us over Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash Radio. You could donate as little as $1 per episode or pick any tier you want. And yeah, it's it's awesome. We're just really thrilled by the love we're getting right now. Yeah, no, it's great. And we really appreciate the feedback for the last uh, dual episode that we had. It was it was really, really cool. Um, but there's been so many updates just since then. And we only recorded it like not even two weeks ago. So, um, you know, when we recorded the last one, it was the indictment of just the troll farm. And then since yep. then, there was the indictment of, of the other people for money laundering. We've talked about this before. We, we have never disputed the fact that Trump is guilty of money laundering. We just don't understand why it's just about Russia and not about all the other countries that he obviously has money laundering going on with. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely a subject for future episodes. But it, it is just interesting. Do you have any other updates on, on the actual indictment on in that realm, right? No, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go. Like, there was some, there was more after, you know, more indictments filed, like after we did our last episode. But the bottom line is, just to sum it up, I mean, the goalposts have moved so much from the original allegation of what Russiagate was supposed to be about, which was this idea that Russia actually threw the election and somehow manipulated it to the point of getting Donald Trump elected, that it's just, it's just a joke. And the sad part is this indictment somehow, this internet research agency indictment has actually shifted things to the point where a lot of actual leftists and people I talk to now, like in regular life, like I was saying, I think only like three or four episodes ago, wow, I'm glad this neoliberal anti-Russian propaganda hasn't like soaked into everybody yet, but only, I don't know, in a couple months, it seems like it really has now. And that's very disturbing to me. I was actually like arguing with people at a party I went to over the weekend about this indictment and they were acting like it was a total smoking gun. And I was just like, but do you realize that like, this is, you could, you, they could have made making the same argument about RT Russia today, like the whole time it's been, ex it's existed that it has, that RT has, is it has the purpose of trying to like alter the political landscape to have an effect on it in some way. So if that's all the allegation is now, then I don't, it's just very, very strange to me how more people aren't seeing this for what it is, that it's just a total fucking smokescreen. Yeah. And the internet research agency, I read that, uh, that New York times article that Adrian Chen wrote about it, where he actually went to St. Petersburg and tracked down, you know, they move offices. It's just a, it's, it's a troll farm. It's a generic troll farm. There's probably exists hundreds of them all across uh, Russia, China, Eastern Europe, et cetera. But what was interesting about his expose, um, they actually trolled him in the process and made it seem like he was meeting with like neo-Nazis and tried to make him the focus of this viral news story, et cetera, et cetera. And, and his article is really interesting because it gives you an insight on, okay, what is this factory really about? Um, what are the capacities? How many people are working there? 
but then he's come out after the indictments and actually has kind of provided a little bit of clarity and kind of tried to deter the hysteria. He's like, look, I was the person who actually went and investigated this, this troll farm. He's not on board with saying, oh, it, it, you know, it's, it's nothing. He's just saying, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. It's really just a couple shit posters who don't have an effect. It's a negligible effect yeah. on the whole. And there's really nothing that they've done. So why are you guys making it into this huge thing? So I appreciate him doing that. Because unlike all of these other assholes in D.C. just mindlessly echoing State Department propaganda, he actually went there and and has yeah. personal insight with the IRA, not the, you know, the Internet Research yeah. Agency. And the fact that and let's just be honest, I mean, this, I mean, I don't know if you share my thoughts on this, but just the fact that he even did an investigative report in the first place on it shows that he was like sort of a willing participant in this propaganda wave to begin with. And, and he possibly reached his limit and realized how hysterical this climate really was. And it basically gave him better insight, actually be doing it on the ground or like, you know, actual real report about it. But it is interesting that this even became such a topic of discussion for so long. These Russian troll factories, you know, just kept popping up in the news for the last like two and a half years over and over again, like kind of the almost like the same story just recycled a little bit. Like, now we're going to talk to a new, you know, confessions of a Russian troll is at this troll factory. And ultimately, the question does really be... So, if it's just about, quote-unquote, meddling, which is such a vague and all-encompassing term, then the argument has to be about proportionality and what the actual effect that it had was. Right. And since that's not able to be determined, like, you can't quantify that. Then the arguments, then it's like this propaganda can really flourish. I think that's almost kind of the purpose of it. The purpose was to get to this point of drawing everything back and being like, well, no, actually, the Russians just meddled. Right. And then since now that we're there, it's such a vague, all encompassing term that can mean anything that, you know, even a leftist who's espousing views that sound similar to a Russian TV channel could be described now as Russian meddling. Yep, and everyone's a Russian bot who echoes anything remotely um, similar to questioning State Department narratives. So, so everyone's a Russian bot, and then on the uh, on the flip side, everyone's a Soros bot that's questioning the Trump administration. So it's it's quite a disturbing predicament that we've gotten ourselves into. Where, and I agree with you, Robbie. Uh, six months ago, I thought that it was going to get better because I, you know, after the DNI report came out Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, no one really bought it. Uh, People who are really paying attention understand what a a giant distraction this is. How could anyone really, um, you know, how could this gain much more traction later on? But, you know, sure enough, people are dropping like flies um, and just wholeheartedly believing that they think that the indictments from Mueller are somehow, um, strong enough to just to just accept that there is a smoking gun as you said and and yeah. we just have now come to the conclusion that Russia meddled and if you disagree with that then you're a fucking shill um for Russia apparently so i i've seen tons and tons of people that i did not think would fall prey to this have fallen prey to it um and it's very sad because i thought that people had a little bit more critical thinking skills than this no, they. I think I really do think it has something to do with the duration, right, and the amount of different information from all these different angles coming at them at once. Like it's a barrage of propaganda coming from so many different directions. It really does make the Iraq War WMDs narrative seem like a oversimplified, like amateur hour. 
propaganda like mm-hmm. deployment. And I, that's I how know bizarre it is. I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's really worth mentioning again is that when Edward Snowden leaked the NSA documents, one of those documents that Glenn Greenwald reported on was how the NSA has employed hundreds, if not thousands of operatives online to infiltrate message boards, forums, Reddit threads, article threads, hijack them, have multiple accounts on these threads to pull people away from questioning the government, pull people away from questioning war. It just shows you the level um, of entrapment online to pull people away and and divide, you know, and, and sow discord from our government. And, and God knows how vast that operation is online. This is in conjunction with the Wahhabi troll farms. This is in conjunction with the Hasbro operations. We already know Israel has a vast amount of influence over our government as well. And think about this, the corporations. I mean, after the BP oil spill in the Gulf, Dar Jamal um, basically tracked down trolls that they had hired a PR firm to employ hundreds of trolls online to dilute yeah. the discourse about the BP oil spill. So if this is, and we already know the Koch brothers have have several uh, astroturfing organizations as well that they employ vast amount of trolls too. So I just, what's sad about this Russia obsession is that we're forgetting about all of these other operations that I think do much, much, much more damage on behalf of right-wing authoritarian billionaires and oligarchs in this country, on behalf of multinational corporations in this country, what is that doing? How vast is that? We need to think about all these things. Like, if this is really what we're going to be arguing about, Russian trolls online, then I'm sorry, but we need to broaden the discourse a little bit to talk about all these other trolls and all these other operations from several governments and corporations. But yeah, I always just think about that because that was just kind of a story that went by the wayside. And I mean, obviously, that's happening on a daily basis. It to become this narrative that somehow Russian meddling over the internet and like with a few media channels and, and networks that most people in this country don't even pay attention to, that they have that much of an effect. It just, it's just sad and pathetic that someone who's actually studied sort of the structures of the system and how it's oppressive could even remotely come to that conclusion. It doesn't even make sense to me. It's childlike, actually, that a, that a smart, educated individual could reach that conclusion, that Russia had this drastic impact on our political system and our political landscape. I just found the document. It's a GCHQ slash NSA operation, a slide about how they use the internet to, quote, manipulate, deceive, and destroy reputations. Dirty tricks that they have um, employed under the banner, of course, of fighting terrorism. That's that's what all of this is under the banner of. Um, but it's basically a couple tactics that they use to do this. Inject all sorts of false material on the Internet in order to destroy the reputation of its targets. OK, so think about what this means in the, in the era of COINTELPRO revived. Um, attacking Black Lives Matter activists, of course, diluting any sort of like conspiracies about the government. I mean, the list goes on and on and on or poisoning the well, you know, like like the the false flag stuff, the crisis actor stuff, the the flat earth stuff. I mean, how far can this really go? So we know that they're doing that. Right. Then the second tactic is to use social sciences and other techniques to manipulate online discourse and activism to generate outcomes it considers desirable. Yeah. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Um, 
<clears throat> negative information on various forums, taking down, like if they see like a leader on a forum who's gaining a lot of traction and, and getting a lot of people to agree with them, they'll go in, create multiple sock puppets to try to discredit that person yep. and pretend like there's like a, a flood of people who are like, no, like you're wrong. Yep. Yep. This is I what mean, they're doing. Jesus, imagine it, what it would be like on a political forum. Exactly. Anti-war groups, political expression. Yeah. Um, this is what the FBI does. We already know that they're not focused on white supremacists, mass shooters, or, or any of those people. We know that they're focused on taking down Muslims, right? Infiltrating mosques and also anti-war groups. We know that that's what their, their real jam um, is Black Lives Matter and anti-imperialism. So this is what they're doing. Um, we don't know the extent of the operation, but yeah, this is just one like little slide presentation that came out of the Snowden documents. So just gives you a little bit of an insight <laughs> on what we don't know um, while yeah. everyone is hysterically telling us that Russia has destroyed our democracy. Yeah, it's very, very strange. I mean, I just recently remembered the that Cass Sunstein cognitive infiltration of 9-11 conspiracy groups plan that he wrote in an academic paper in 2008, which basically um, advocated for the quote unquote cognitive infiltration of groups that advocate, advocate conspiracy theories. The actual paper lays out something a little less deceptive and like intelligence agency-esque than what you're describing, but it basically describes like kind of what Israeli Hasbros do where you know, it's recommending sending teams of people in mass on the internet to combat conspiracy theories. So basically like like a grassroots crowdsource debunking force to go out on the internet and, and debunk these things. But when you really read the the document, it also goes into some other trickier sort of, you know, divide and conquer tactics that sort of mirror some of the things you're describing. I mean, another way to do cognitive infiltration and this is something I often think about is to just flood the internet with like crap conspiracy theories to the point of, and we can go into this later if you don't want to now, but to the point of making these companies feel as if they have to censor like all conspiracy videos or derank them. And that, you know, that's an extremely slippery slope because flat earth and Sandy Hook conspiracies are not uh, on par with sort of, you know, conspiracies by, uh, fracking companies and you know energy companies extracting natural gas out of the ground creating pollution where do you really draw the line between this you know if it's trying to censor offensive conspiracies that talk about kids being crisis actors those are really offensive to me but i still don't think you can draw a line there and say those should be removed from the internet but other videos shouldn't be it's just too much of a, a slippery slope. Well, let's let's but, talk about that um, because okay. recently, let's just dive right in. Um, yeah. Recently, uh, there has been a new wave of cracking down and censorship um, that we've seen in the wake of the Parkland shooting. I yep. am vehemently disgusted with anyone who brings up crisis actors. But when you're talking about a private company like YouTube... Um, it, it is it is weird because the algorithms that have been in place after the Russia stuff, right? Not just the labeling of state media, where now if you go to my videos, it says this is funded by Latin American governments, um, but the algorithms. Uh, all of these, these videos are now deranked. If you just try to find a video from Empire Files, it actually takes a couple pages of scrolling through YouTube to even find my videos, which should show up immediately if you're typing in the exact fucking name of the video. So <clears throat> it is very surreal to see 
all of my work being deranked, people who are leftists, activists, um, their work being extremely hard to find, obfuscated in the, in the, the hole that YouTube has become. But then you see white supremacist Nazi shit and the crisis actor stuff viral, like f- trending number one. Um, yeah. like flooding everything. I can't even get through pages of YouTube if I'm trying to find something without sorting through just the most garbage videos. Um, so I don't understand what's going on. I, I, I why did the algorithms only affect like people like me and, you know, truth dig and counterpunch and stuff like, like that. Like actually seems burying like, your stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like Infowars and all these other people are not affected at all. In fact, they've just become more viral. And I don't know if it's the martyrdom complex because there's more attention because it's just no. a feedback loop. It's like Alex Jones can say that he's being censored and then that causes a story and then CNN writes about it and then he creates another video and says that they're lobbying to take him down and then it's just an endless feedback loop no. of stories that they create. That would be the the least creepy explanation behind it. But right. I don't think that that's why, because think, I mean, like just rewind back to like two years ago, if you heard of like Milo Yiannopoulos and you watched like one of his videos to just see what, you know, how disgusting he was, all of a sudden the YouTube algorithm will just populate your watch next or your like recommendations with like tons of alt-right shit. It almost seems like the YouTube algorithm was like designed, to, honestly, to me, just from my own perspective, without being a pro- having any programming abilities myself or really knowledge about programming, I was actually surprised by how much the algorithm seemed to push you into those little alleys of YouTube, like r- immediately, you know, just from watching very little stuff on in terms of that side of the spectrum. And it'll just, it'll ruin your sort of YouTube recommendations. So... If it's that strong, if the algorithm is able to like be push you into those alleys just from watching a couple Joe Rogan clips or Milo Yiannopoulos videos, it it probably is doing the same thing with like conspiracy videos too. There's been people who have recently been analyzing like their sort of algorithm and their analytics and have shown that conspiracy videos, especially ones about re- very recent events, go extremely viral. The algorithm like loves those videos somehow. And makes them go viral and really helps them go viral. So if YouTube's algorithms were just sort of more across the board neutral and didn't like boost content based on certain things, a lot of these videos wouldn't be as popular as they are. Something about their algorithm is deliberately, you know, I'm not saying the algorithm is has a nefarious intention, but something about the algorithm is deliberately enha- like enhancing the view counts and the and sort of these videos of popping up on them on the side of the page of what to watch yeah, next. Yeah, that's extraordinary. And that deserves a lot of scrutiny, I think, because why is that? I tend to be a little conspiratorial about this, and I wonder sometimes if a lot of these types of videos are being deliberately boosted over maybe a period of several years so that eventually be like, this shit's just so offensive, we have to, we have to censor the internet now. We have to create a blanket rule now that no videos can be uploaded with people talking about crisis actors, false flags. Uh, no videos can be up, you know, that's from the that's somehow influenced by the Russian government. No videos can go up that are. I mean, on one hand, like I would, you know, I would be okay with YouTube banning like white supremacist videos, but at the same time, like the climate we're in now, it's like everybody on the right side of the spectrum, including like a jackass, like naval intelligence controlled opposition piece of shit, like Jack Posobiec is being called the Nazi. But yet I don't think his video, you know, should be banned 
for being like a white supremacist because I don't wouldn't really describe him that way, um, even though he has white supremacist views. So it does get very troubling when you really do look at where all this is going and what it can turn into in terms of being turned back in on people like you and me who have dabbled in with conspiracies and who are also on like the far left. I, I could very easily see that apparatus being turned in on us. And already you see people like Shane Bauer, who's a, one of the most suspicious motherfuckers to me on the planet right now, saying, basically trying to draw that false equivalency to the, that it's the extreme left and the extreme right who are agreeing on that, you know, who are like joining together to like defend Russia and to like, you know, drive, you know, pull our country down into this muck and mire of conspiracy theories. So that's a very interesting narrative that's coalescing. And I, I, I don't know. I really don't know what to make of it. I mean, yeah, no, it gets into that tricky, tricky, <clears throat> slippery slope that we've been talking about this whole time where it's the issue of free speech. Should you shut down Nazis speech? Um, do corporations have the right to shut down um, who they deem a threat or, you know, bullying or any of these things according to their standards and terms on their own, like, platforms. The thing is, as someone who has been entrapped in this whole Russian hysteria for years now, and, and we've both seen it getting worse and worse and worse <clears throat> with these waves of online censorship that have already affected left media and left thought, um, I could very easily see it flipping. I do believe that, um, you know, Nazi Nazis don't, I, I don't believe that like Nazism and white supremacy belongs in, in the marketplace of ideas. I don't believe that these things are, um, should be like grounds to have a debate on, on Nazism. I don't, I don't agree with that mentality. Like, oh, let's just, let's just have a debate. Let's like, just have a mm -hmm. forum where we discuss Nazism and the merits of it. No, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's two separate issues. I think that when you're talking about something like medium, <clears throat> where Jack Sabobiak or whatever the hell his name is, um, Sabiak or what is his name? Pasobiak. Pasobiak and Mike Cernovich and Laura Loomer. Yeah, they say vile, reprehensible things. They are disgusting people who are grifters who will do anything for fame and clicks, etc. We know that about these people. Um, I have not seen them on par with Richard Spencer. I think that there's different differences in, in the way that they approach, you know, their, their speech and their rhetoric. Um, I, when I, when I found out that their mediums were shut down, <clears throat> I, it, it, you know, I, I sat on it for like an hour and I was just like, Hmm, like everyone was really excited about it, you know? Cause of course you don't want these people in your purview. It, you know, I mm -hmm. don't, I, I'm, I'm happier with Milo, not on Twitter. Although we abhor their views and are disgusted with these people and, and yeah, the internet is a better place without them. The problem is it is not going to stop with them. Um, the online censorship of things like medium is a really slippery slope because it happened without any sort of warning. Um, I'm unclear about what terms they violated on medium, any of these people, um, and we are in a very, very disturbing climate where this could easily flip toward people simply questioning Russiagate and simply tied to Russia. We already know the methodology of the, the Internet Research Agency and, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, what Bill Crystal's think tank is, is using to say whatever is Russian linked. We already yeah. know how, how fuzzy that notion is if, if you're a Russian troll or if you're a Russian apologist or whatever. Um, so that's what's so disturbing to me. And, and then it goes beyond that where 
<clears throat> where if you're just questioning war, um, where you see Shane Bauer, who's the I think he's the executive editor of Mother Jones, which is now a total smut rag. Um, he even called out Caitlin Johnstone and said, when will medium shut down these accounts, this conspiratorial garbage questioning the Syria regime change narrative. So when you see people, and he was like using this, her as an example yes. of this sort of left, like hard left, hard right alliance. And it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. You're using, you're representing her as someone on the far left, which she's not at all. So, but that's just more of a side note to what you're saying. No, exactly. No, this is this is the trick that people do. We've been talking about this: the conflation of the left and right, um, the 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 labeling of quote unquote tankies, which is what you could call Mike and the entire Answer Coalition. What they think of tankies is just people who have been vehemently opposed to regime change since the beginning. Mm-hmm. They are pro like sovereignty of foreign nations, even quote unquote enemy states, because they are completely anti-regime change. They don't fall into these traps of like, oh, well, we need to do something, right? So Shane Bauer, he has been on the forefront of not only like saying shut down all Nazi accounts, but then he took it one step further and is now just constantly trying to build that conflation. Oh, the alt-left, the alt-right, the alt-left, the alt-right. Just today, he was saying that um, I'll even just read it because it really is it really is crazy and you kind of need to hear what this guy's saying. And, and and it wouldn't be a big deal if he wasn't like running a hugely popular publication that has vast amounts of influence. I see leftists and anarchists retweeting his stuff all the time and taking his his articles very seriously. Well, I for I mean I first heard of him when he came to the Berkeley protests out here and was seemingly like stoking on and sort of like acting like he really, really liked what Antifa was doing. And I remember just thinking that was weird in and of itself for like a mother Jones, like kind of guy, like he didn't see, but then like immediately when he got back and I already described this story is he started tweeting about how the Alliance for Securing Democracy was finding all these Russian bots who were also promoting Antifa. And I was thinking that's weird because you were just promoting Antifa and then now you're saying that Russia has a vested interest in promoting Antifa based on this think tank? Like, I don't understand what you're doing. So here's here's the thing. He calls himself a leftist, and that's what a lot of like liberals and neoliberals call themselves leftists. So it confuses a lot of people, but you, it doesn't take that much thought to understand that he's just a complete shill who just uses this language to discredit actual leftists. So this is his big garbage take today. He said the tanky slash authoritarian strain of the left is very small and not representative of the left in general. He's like, but they have an outsized voice because they're allowed on the internet and get boosted by Russia since their views are very similar to the American far right. (laughs) <laughs> Unbelievable! Just so many lies, so many weird lies, and it just fits perfectly within sort of the Alliance for Securing Democracy framework. It's fascinating. It almost seems like, hmm, if I didn't know any better, I'd almost feel like he got handed a talking point like guide Flip the from script. the Alliance for Securing Democracy right after this recent press tour they've been doing, because he's echoing almost exactly what they said on this interview that I'm going to go into in a little bit. That they've done. That's really, really disturbing. Yeah. Disturbingly manipulative. Well, yeah. And then you have um, the guy from The Intercept saying that neocons neocons are less racist than tanky leftists. The tanky left are actually more racist than neocons. They accuse every Muslim that disagrees with them of supporting Al-Qaeda and justify mass murder in the name of fighting terrorism. 
So I responded, hi, Murtaza, please let me know when the tanky left calls for a U.S. military invasion of Palestine. I love that. I love that. I mean, and one of the interesting things he does, and it's something that has stuck in my craw a little bit as someone who's very anti-war and anti-imperialist, as it did concern me how many people on the left were sort of blanketly using that Al-Qaeda jihadist label as like their primary argument in Syria, because I feel this is the danger in doing that. Right. It creates an in for people like this, even though there is some truth to that, that the CIA was funding Al-Nusra and Al-Qaeda related groups, and they were not caring about who, what level of jihadist or extremist certain you know rebel groups were. That doesn't paint the whole picture, and it's an over to me. It's an oversimplified thing. Which the reality is, the CIA shouldn't be funding a proxy war in Syria. And just from my own point of view, I feel like that framing doesn't give people like Murtaza this kind of in. He's basically implying that they're racist. He's kind of saying, in a way, what Shane is saying, but more cleverly, that the right, far right, and the far left are the same. They they're racist. You know, they agree on this kind of issue. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I, I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. And I even responded to Shane and I was just like, you know, this is, this is really bizarre. I was like, you keep desperately trying to conflate right-wing authoritarianism with anti-regime change leftists, not only asinine, but quite a bizarre deflection for how just days ago he actually called for fascist measures to shut down people who were simply questioning the Syria war narrative. That is very interesting. So he's calling us authoritarian, yet he's the one out there saying, shut down. No, don't just stop with Cernovich and Loomer and Sabayek. No, no, no. Take it further. Take it to anyone who's saying that we shouldn't be in Syria doing a no-fly zone. I mean, wow. But we're the authoritarians. We're the right-wing authoritarians. It's it's fascinating. I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. Um, people like all, him I mean, really worry me. Oh, it's very worrisome. I mean, even just the fact that Murtaza, you know, like one of the biggest writers at The Intercept, would actually say, just at, just straight up, that the tanky left are actually more racist than neocons? Maybe Bill Crystal tweeted him, retweeted you gotta, him. You shit. have to have gone mad. Hey, the normalization of the like neocons that. now, we're reinitiating them. I mean, yeah, that's that's what's so fascinating about this. I mean, they are the most scary i mean they are the most scary racists in the united states by far i mean i don't i i mean if i'm going to be honest i think they're way scarier to me than actual contingents of white supremacists because they could just pull a trigger and like murder a million arabs instantly that's what neocons do so I, I just don't know. And then especially if you think about the prospect of the Trump administration fully joining forces with these same neocons, I mean, that'll be like even more racist than you can, than you've ever imagined they can be before. Yeah. The neocons you win know, regardless. It doesn't matter if they, if they so posture crazy. themselves as like anti-Trump, they're winning regardless. The defense contractors are winning regardless. Um, so yeah, keep, uh, keep glorifying neocons and keep rebranding them you're doing a great job on their behalf guys great job leftists should i should i just get into really quick the alliance for securing democracy yeah i just wanted to say one more thing about medium is you know of course questioning this and i said it publicly i was like you know i i don't agree with this um I really don't because I could see it being used so flippantly because I've been in the crosshairs as, you know, Russian linked. Um, and because I'm seeing the, the bait and switch and people like Shane, uh, try to push this narrative uh, against tankies. Um, it worries me and it worries me because 
people are just going to be collectively swept up in this. All these people who are, you know, call everyone a Nazi, um, they all love it, but they don't understand how easily the establishment can flip the switch. Um, I don't know if they just haven't been paying attention or if they just don't know anyone who's already been lumped in as like this Russian linked operation, but we have. So we've already seen it affect people that we know um, who have nothing to do with, uh, you know, neo-Nazism. So that's what's so disturbing to me. The, the medium thing, I think, is is a red flag for what's to come. You're giving them a martyrdom complex where they now just get viral popularity for the censorship over and over and over again. So I, I see nothing actually good coming out of that. I mean, and that the the thing that worries me is there's a lot of people who almost agree with us on everything who are like, these are private platforms. It's not a First Amendment issue. And while that's technically correct, for them to not be concerned about this sort of happening coming on the heels of all this sort of like Russia, you know, you're a Russian bot, you're a Russian shill, the far left and the far right are the same. They're all apologists for Putin. Coming off the heels of that, I'm astonished that those people aren't like, yeah, this actually, this is a little bit worrisome. And th- and actually starts to make me suspicious of them. Like, what's their deal? Why aren't they concerned? What is their agenda? Well, even just questioning it, I, I immediately got called a, a neo-Nazi collaborator because I said, hey, maybe we should really take a step back. And before we just cheer on the censorship of, of anyone that you just throw into the bus. Yeah. Um, maybe we should really be thinking about this and think about the implications that could come from this kind of collective hysteria that we're living in. Um, no, you're a Nazi collaborator. You're not, you're all right. So I've, I've seen it, um, it very quickly flip against me, flip against you just for simply voicing concerns about how quickly this could dovetail into something very, very dangerous. Exactly. And, and I mean, it's, 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 it's worrisome in the sense that, you know, you sound conspiratorial now when you talk about divide and conquer strategies in Cointelpro, because a lot of the right wing paranoid people have adopted those and said, it's all like George Soros. It's all, it's all the deep, it's all Obama's deep state. It's all John Brennan. When in reality, there is obviously some kind of campaign or multiple campaigns going on to divide us more in this country. And also on the neoliberal side, they're blaming that all on Russia too. So it's like, there is something real to what, what a lot of people are describing. It's just the attribution for who's doing it or who's behind it is like also being politicized and used as a manipulative tactic. When, when in reality, we can't really tell exactly who's doing it or what entities are doing it, but we know it is happening. Like, there is more division being sowed in this country. I don't for a second fucking think that Russia's responsible for it. Yeah, Ru- apparently Russia's responsible for how we've been on the verge of a civil war. But Russia's responsible for Waco. Russia's responsible for the rise of all these militia groups. Russia's responsible for it all. There's never been yeah. any division that's originated from the actual population itself or the policies that have been used to, um, you know, put us under the boot of the country that we're yeah, living like- in. Are they eventually going to start saying that like Russia created this meme of like social justice warriors and like free speech rallies on campus? Are they eventually going to start saying Russia, um, you know, started like I I don't I I don't know. It seems like it really is going to go in that direction where I mean, I think I made a joke about this like maybe a year ago on the podcast, but now it's not so funny. Are they eventually going to say that Russia is behind 9-11 conspiracy culture? 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how far does this go? Yeah, I watched. Um, I really encourage everyone to check out the Putin interviews with Oliver Stone. Um, it is really incredible. Not only does it demystify Russia and also kind of Putin himself, you know, uh, he's this cartoon villain that you can really project anything on. Of course, leftists in Russia have come out and said, please stop. You're making him really all encompassing, all powerful. And he's actually becoming much more powerful here because you guys are attributing like that he's this masterful person who's manipulating the planet. Please stop. Um, but aside from that, Oliver Stone goes over and does a series of interviews with him. And it's just really incredible because I just encourage everyone to watch it. I mean, we can go into a lot of stuff, but he just like talks about the whole Snowden uh, debacle. Just uh, like we don't do yeah. that. He's like, we don't have just like data collection. I mean, who knows if that's true? Um, it's just yeah. really interesting because everyone projects like, well, obviously after, you know, obviously the KGB's worse, right? Like, well, yeah, the CIA and yeah, the NSA is terrible, but like obviously Russia's like way crazier. You know, it's just like leftovers of, um, you know, like the worst of the Soviet Union. Of course, they still have like the, all of these apparatus still in place and he just kind of is like no that's not true at all but who knows i mean it's just really really interesting um i encourage everyone to check it out yeah i really enjoyed those interviews um and i had a my takeaway from it was i guess a little bit different from i was expecting because while i did think putin came off as very intelligent very calm i felt like it was sort of, there was a little bit of a revealing in some sense of like the classic, like the emperor with no clothes paradigm where we're led to believe here that Putin is an omniscient, you know, super high Q Machiavellian genius. Right. Right. But in the, in the documentary, I felt that some, I felt that there was a put on to him. I, I felt it was a little bit phony, just like from Putin's end. And then I also felt as if Putin revealed certain things in it that kind of ma- painted the picture that he is perhaps just as in the dark or, you know, as out of the loop as often some American presidents are with what their government's actually up to. And that surprised me because there's actually one scene in the movie are we showing Oliver Stone a clip of what he describes as the Russian government fighting terrorists in Syria? And he plays Oliver Stone a clip off of his cell phone. Strangely, the clip is of an American Apache helicopter killing Taliban forces allegedly in Afghanistan. And as he's showing Oliver Stone this clip, he's claiming that it's a Russian, it's like footage of like the Russians fighting terrorists in Syria. And I just thought that was very strange because I immediately recognized the clip myself. And I was like, that's weird that... Putin wouldn't even would make such a big mistake like that. I just thought that was a strange thing to do. Yeah. Like imagine if a U.S. official did something that sloppy in a documentary that was about them. Like I would be surprised at that too. I'd be like, oh wow, like you're really out of it. Yeah. And Oliver does a good job. He really, he confronts, and of course everyone, you know, hammered Oliver for being like a Putin apologist and oh, how dare you go interview this guy, right? Um, yeah. And he confronts him about all this shit. He confronts him about the authoritarianism, about right wing ideology, about all this stuff. He really and, and you know, like the, the, the theme that he's a dictator. I mean, he really does go over all of these things. Um, and it's just really interesting to see his reaction. I don't like I'm not satisfied with a lot of the answers that Putin gave, but I think Oliver did a good job. Um, of not just yeah. acquiescing and being like, oh, like, no, he really, he really did a really great job. Then he goes back and confronts him about the Russian meddling stuff too, which is funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really great. It's great stuff. I mean, the fact that 
no one from the U.S. media ever like did that is just kind of bizarre. Like I feel like even Charlie Rose interviewed Assad, you know, around like 2012, maybe it was surprising. Like it was surprised. The tone of it was surprisingly not as hostile as you would expect. Well, you never see U.S. anchors sitting down with Maduro, sitting down with you know when Ahmadinejad was in power, Ahmadinejad. Um, and when they yeah. did, like that George Stephanopoulos interview is insane. Or Larry King would sit down with him, and all he would do is would would bring up some like drama about someone who was in the jail an Iranian jail, some American, and just make the entire interview about like, what are you going to say to their parents? Are you going to let them out? And and just nothing substantial whatsoever about policies, about relations, about the history. Uh, it's just garbage through and through. And that, and you just see it time and again with these U.S., you know, quote unquote reporters that dare to sit down with these people because they don't want to normalize these people and they don't want to have them appear as human. Um, because first of all, Ahmadinejad was sounded really smart and made George Stephanopoulos look like a complete asshole. Um, but again, like Bashar al-Assad, he, he speaks perfect English. Like, have you ever seen an interview with him? You know, about it's like just the cartoon villains that we like to paint. And I'm not saying that Bashar al-Assad is, is a good guy. I'm just saying it's just interesting that you don't ever see interviews with these heads of states. And I actually am thinking back to that Charlie Rose Assad uh, interview. And I, I feel like it kind of backfired. Yeah. Like, there's a reason why I remember actually having trouble finding that interview like in full after it aired and thinking, I wonder like if they regretted doing this because it actually, if anyone watched that, they'd be like, wow, this guy is like, you know, it'd be like almost if Saddam Hussein spoke like perfect mm -hmm. fluent mm -hmm. English mm -hmm. and came across very calm. I mean, he didn't, Saddam Hussein didn't come across angry in his interviews, I remember there was a Dan Rather interview, but it wasn't in English, you know, and it could be translated, you know, they could sort of fudge the translation a little bit, maybe. Um, it just doesn't have the same impact. Frontline did an interview, or sorry, the Frontline did a series about Putin, and they interview all these U.S. officials in their extremely candid, long interviews um, that are like, un almost like completely unedited, like an hour long each on YouTube. And I'd also recommend checking those out if you want to be extremely bored, but also learn something about, you know, this new spin that's coming out from, you know, a lot of these former Obama officials now, which is really interesting to me personally, are actually throwing Obama under the bus now and claiming that the policy failed on Russia. And they're all acting like they tried to push Obama to do more in Ukraine. Specifically, that's where it all started for them. And that it was a failure of policy. Yeah, dude, if and only that, Obama just sent arms to neo-Nazis earlier, exactly. then we would never have, Russia would never have meddled in the election. Wow. What a weird yeah. train of thought. Victoria Newland oh in this interview, it's an hour long, basically almost seems like she tears up and implies without saying it directly that Obama's decisions in Ukraine killed like actually cost Ukrainian lives and he and like his decisions led to the deaths of an unknown amount of Ukrainians and it was really interesting to watch and I it seemed very crocodile tears fake to me when she was kind of acting emotional about this and and I really started to think about it there's been quite a few former Obama officials who have thrown him under the bus about his Russia policy and acted like he didn't do enough to stop what they're now describing as Russian meddling I mean, I could just go down the list really quick. It's, you know, Hillary Clinton has expressed she's complained in her own book. Joe Biden, I think it was a CFR talk recently, um, threw Obama under the bus. Julie Smith, the head of CNAS, a former uh, Biden official, 
threw him under the bus. Michael McFall, Mike Morell, uh, Robert Kagan, of course, did. But most recently, former National Security Committee member uh, under Obama, Laura Rosenberger, went on this, uh, this PR tour, basically, for the Alliance for Securing Democracy with the former a spokesperson for the foreign policy initiative, Jamie Fly. And they sort of presented this interview like, oh, look how neat it is that like the left and the right are joining together to fight Russian meddling. And they're interviewing both of them. What really stuck out to me the most is basically going back to what we were talking about before, that the Alliance for Securing Democracy, if anyone's been listening to our podcast, is trying to depict all these trending hashtags on Twitter that are like far right and sometimes far left as being Russian driven. And often it'll just be something random like the Parkland shooting or like Monday, some like Monday hashtag, like Mondays suck or something will be like Russian driven, they'll say on their website. And they're using this black box algorithm that they call the Hamilton 68 dashboard to measure what they describe as 16 un, or sorry, 600 undisclosed Russian Twitter accounts, like Russian bot boosting Twitter accounts. Um, and they won't say which 600 they are, that these accounts are. They won't actually disclose them because they say that Russia will shut them down if they reveal which ones they are. So it's really fascinating what they're trying to do because... Not only is this former official, Laura Rosenberger, saying that um, that it was a failure of policy and she feels like Obama really fucked us on, in terms of like fighting Russia, they also very, they very much emphasize in this interview that Alliance for Securing Democracy is not claiming that Russia won the election for Trump. And, and this is actually an actual quote from Jamie Fly. He says, what the president is missing when it those on the right are missing is that we're not drawing any conclusions about collusion. We're not making any statements questioning the legitimacy of Donald Trump's presidency. And I find that extremely fascinating because that was moving the goalposts even more to be like, no, 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 no. We're not making any argument about if Trump is colluding with Russia or if Trump, Russia made Trump win. No, 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 no. All we're saying is that there is Russian meddling actively taking place in our country like through social media. And that's really interesting goalpost move to me because that is really where this, the end of this goes. Because that's something that can, we, you can actually prove a small kernel of truth of. You can say, yeah, Russia wa- was doing these little things to try to like influence our political dialogue. But then the question becomes, did it have an effect? And how, what's the proportionality of it compared to all this other shit? I just went off on a long tangent, but I mean, what, what do you think about it? I mean, it's, yeah, no, it's the same thing that we've been talking about. It's changing the goalpost to now just broadening it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's just goes along with what we're saying and what we predicted. And still people are just quoting the think tank. Someone even told me that the other day, they're just like, oh, more Russian propaganda. And I was like, it literally would take one minute to just validate that this is who's running this think tank. Like now it's just Russian propaganda to talk about who Bill Crystal is and how he's a part of this. Yeah. I mean, what are you well, talking about? Well, it's so funny because in the interview, they actually bring that up. And the host is like, so Jamie and Laura, like, you know, Glenn Greenwald recently has started accusing you guys of being like a neocon. You're part of a neocon conspiracy. Like, what do you have to say? Are you guys neocon plants? And they just kind of laugh and Laura's like, ha, you know, oh, Glenn, like that's, you know, what he would say, you know, and then she goes on to say that a lot of like these people who used to be neoconservative are actually like 
having really good positions on Russia now, and they and and she finds herself agreeing with them. And then Jamie Fly goes on to say that you know Glenn Greenwald he exemplifies this sort of consensus between the extreme right and the extreme left on Russia. Isn't that odd? You know, almost like kind of like saying he's a Russian bot essentially. Oh my god. The, the the whole interview should be, it's boring, it's about an hour long, but it should be listened to in its entirety because you really do get the full picture of what narrative they're trying to weave. And it's I, I thought the most interesting thing from it was the fact that they are not trying to, in, they're not trying to cover this whole, whole larger narrative. They're not even touching the idea of Russian collusion with Trump. That's fascinating. Um, it is fascinating because if that's where we're left with this, then that's that's that is that scary place where it's it's not you know it's not to just impeach Trump or to get rid of his pe- pe- you know people in his cabinet it's ultimately it's to lock down and censor parts of the internet or just to like police the internet or social media unbelievable unbelievable yeah. well, let's talk about the i mean this is all linked together because it's it's from the parkland stuff um that, you oh know, wait! Just before, yeah. just before we move on to that, I just wanted to also just throw in there that Bellingcat, um, who was the you know one of those guys who was really pushing the MH17 stuff, the Syrian chemical weapons attack stuff, and Miriam Elder, uh, who you know I go after as sort of being a neocon stooge and a very heavy heavy agenda. They've now sort of reneged on things in the sense that they are going against the Alliance for Securing Democracy now. And saying yeah, that it's that, very problematic. Why do you think that is? Because I find that really curious. I, you know, at first I thought it might just be a turf war. Like these are more Team Obama type people, like Miriam Elder and Bellingcat. And they're sort of, it's like a turf war with like the Team Hillary, like more watered down, like neoliberal sect of this whole DC class. Like almost like the Alliance for Securing Democracy has taken someone else's racket and run with it and like stolen it away from them or something. Especially Belling. That's right. how I would see the Bellingcat pushback. Um, I actually tried to reach out to Eric, Eric Toller of Bellingcat. I said, will you, you know, answer some questions about why you think Hamilton 68 dashboard is bunk? And he, and his only response was fuck no. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't want to talk about it. I mean, they've mentioned it a little bit on Twitter, but they're not going to talk to anyone like us about it, but they are reneging to some degree on, their contribution to this larger hysterical snowball about Russia. And Masha Gessen is also someone else who's doing that. As far as I'm concerned, was one of the biggest contributors to this hysterical snowball in the first place. Her articles about Ukraine and Pussy Riot and Russia back in like 2014 are identical to Jamie Kerchick's. And now she's even going against it, saying this has reached a hysterical point. We need to reel this back now. It's important to call out who who is a part of it, um, just like how you know Tucker Carlson and Ann Coulter are now like anti-war heroes to a lot of people. It's like, well, they were definitely um, part and parcel with the wave of Islamophobia that caused uh, the death of, of millions of people in the Middle East. So I don't know why we would be lauding them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it, we need to be really careful about anointing any of these people who were really essential to building up the Russia phobia in the first place. Um, just be a little bit more hesitant. <laughs> like before, I mean, learn how, a little bit of who these people are that you see time and again being propped up as the main commentators and um, just understand how they play a role in it as well. Um, it's really, really important. 
Yeah, and it's really strange to me too how like a lot of this sort of like Russian infiltration, Russian bot, Russian meddling, you know, Russian useful idiots thing reminds me more of sort of like the John Birch Society, more conspiratorial McCarthyism spirit that existed back then. It's not even like normal McCarthyism. It's like the sort of like Goldwater fringe version of that where it's like everyone's a Russian agent who's liberal. I mean, Ann Coulter specifically was like, she still promotes the idea that like everyone who was against McCarthy was like a secret communist agent. I mean, she, she believes that kind of shit. So it's weird. It is really bizarre to see like, it just like, I don't know. I mean, I mean like to really e- even does, have, yeah, it's just, it just mimics the propaganda from the fifties and sixties. It's just so eerie when you look at like these posters and just the McCarthyist wave. It's just like, you could just really fast forward to today and use the exact same rhetoric and it would just completely apply. Yeah. And it's so eerily similar too to like far right nationalism, like what the, really the root of that is. Yeah. There like was the even sort some of like- communications, like some communications person for Hillary and Obama tweeted that she got in a cab that was driven by a Russian guy just shows you the xenophobia and the racism about this too. Oh yeah, she was like, "What?" She's like, "Call the police yeah. if I don't." She made some like joke about how she thought she was going to get kidnapped. Yep. Yep. Speaking of kidnapping, Pussy Riot um, just really like just announced like a total false alarm, claiming that two of their members or something got kidnapped by the FSB on Twitter. What? And left the tweet up for over twenty four hours. Got like over twenty thousand retweets or something, and then they're like, "Oh no, we found them. They're okay." Wait, so they weren't kidnapped by the FSB? No. <laughs> well, nope. why did they say that? That's outrageous. They were, they didn't say it. They didn't say like they are kidnapped oh, okay. by the FSB. They were like they're missing and they've been kidnapped by the like we don't know where they are, but like the FSB has like kidnapped them before. Total like hysteria, fear mongering. Oh my god! Typical pussy yeah. right. Let's really quickly wrap it up by talking about the NRA stuff, all the new stuff that's come out, because it it links into the censorship stuff as we're talking about the new wave of uh, cracking down online is all tied to this. Um, The Infowars thing, then you have, um, you know, Gateway Pundit is is also one of the worst. They were out there at the beginning. Lucian Wenrich was like, yeah, like talking about Dave Hogg and saying that he was, you know, his dad's in the FBI and that means that he's an actor and... I mean, it's just insane, the bullying to these kids who survived a massacre. Finally, they have a voice. For the first time after a shooting massacre, there's things being done because these kids won't shut up and they won't go away. And they're they're making a lot of noise and it's amazing. Um, but of course, with that power comes all of the backlash and all of the right wing, you know, and crazy hoaxers that are trying to take them down. It's sad to see. Um, but, you know, it. it I guess it's expected in in the time that we're living in, but that's super disturbing. Yeah, very, very disturbing. You have Wayne LaPierre at CPAC saying, um, you know, of course, NRA TV, which you mentioned before, it's becoming way more vitriolic, way more racist. 
every time they make a video, they talk about socialists, communists, Antifa. I mean, it just, it's just so overt. It's like, they're not trying to even gain a base at all of like people beyond just right-wing militia people, (laughs) um, white militia people. That's literally like the only base that they're trying to cultivate because they have really come out on a limb, um, already speaking in general terms about them, meaning black people. Um, the guy, you know, the guy who basically mimics breaking the set's intro, he smashes a flat screen TV with a sledgehammer. I don't know why he just doesn't shoot it with a machine gun. They're the NRA, but he smashes it with a sledgehammer. Um, talking about fake news, really bad redux of breaking the set, but his shirt says socialist tears, like <laughs> bloody tears of, of a socialist. And it's just like this old white guy. It his is name bizarre. is Grant Stinchfield. Stinchfield. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. It's just nuts. Um, and it is very, very And then you have Dana Loesch saying, uh, we, you guys love mass shootings. You love them. It's like, man, you guys, you guys are really disgusting. The fact that anyone can defend this organization. I don't give a shit if you believe in the second amendment, if you are a gun owner, whatever, this organization is disgusting, racist. There's, uh, it, they're super politicized. Um, all you have to do is look at the case of Philando Castile, not one mention of the NRA, of a lawful gun owner being gunned down in his car during a routine traffic stop. Not one mention, not even a tokenistic mention from the NRA, because that's how racist they are. That's how racist they are. And then you just look at the racist history of them. I mean, they they weren't always a neutral organization just supporting gun rights for everyone. They, they, they actually pushed for gun control for when Black Panthers did their kind of armed... Um, semi-occupation of of the state house or whatever back i don't know when the black panthers were like really big but then who was on the forefront of pushing for removing open carry in california the nra the nra like actually acted so forcefully after the black panthers did that wow um how quickly things can move when when they want something to happen so that was interesting you know when people got scared of the black people with guns then they really uh made that go away so it's just it's just unreal that people, you know, you, you say gun control and, and automatically people think remove your guns, take all of your guns, um, martial law. Stalin took the guns. Hitler took the guns. It's like this is the trope <laughs> that Alex Jones just likes likes to remind people like it's happening, guys. It's happening. And the new news that just came out is this guy's ammunition magazines had a swastika the emblem oh of a God. swastika on them. So where did this come out in? This, this is the law enforcement. This is actual, the police. So they, wow. Looked so at the his gateway ammunition. pundit wasn't correct. That he was a, um, a communist <laughs> with a hammer and sickle. And, but, but you put this out there and someone's like, Oh no, this, like, this is all disproven from 4chan. It's like, no, that was just an initial story that, that the alt-right tried to put ahead of the curve to discredit all future stories about this guy being a Nazi and yeah. it doesn't matter that he killed white people. Nazis don't care about life. They don't give a fuck. This kid was a fucking Nazi. He killed a bunch of kids. It doesn't matter if one of the, you know, the kids, a lot of the kids were white. Oh, well, then he can't be a Nazi. He had fucking swastikas Im- embedded on his weapons. I mean, I don't understand how you can argue that. But of course, it's too late. It's too late to even try to inject some sanity and talk about what really happened and who this kid really is. It doesn't even matter anymore because there's a feedback loop of delusion. 
No, it's, I mean, we've definitely gone far past the point of any of these people even really caring about what's true or not. It's just all, it really is just an information war and they want to win it. They don't care they about win, just like preventing Trump. people from getting winning. killed. No, they don't give a shit. I mean, that's, you know, it's border, It's almost just the same type of thing in, for non-political reasons as them sending pictures of Sam Hyde around after every mass shooting saying, look, he's on the loose. Like, this is, somebody's identified him. It's that same, just like, ah, oh, just like, gonna fuck around. I'm bored. I just want to have some kind of, like, impact on what people are talking about, but I'm just gonna, like, prank people. It's really, really bad. Gateway pundit is disgusting. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just shocking. And then you have Jack Sabayek saying truancy is against the law because as we know, Robbie, conservative is, conservatism <laughs> is the new punk rock. It's so fucking yep. daring and super punk to say that you need to go to school and follow the law, kids. Can't walk out. Can't walk out of school to protest, you know, guns and mas- massacres because that you're a truant. This is how babyish these people are. And it is really surreal just to watch it sort of just cross over. It, and it's not surprising because like Jack Posobiec and all these people, you know, they come from Pizzagate. So it's not surprising to watch them sort of adopting the, the crisis actor narrative, even if they're not doing it directly. Like they're not saying that this kid is straight up like, you know, a fake victim, but they are implying that he is some kind of crisis actor of some kind. <laughs> I mean, that's the implication, and it's really strange to watch that sort of cross over into mainstream Republican, you know, mainstream conservative thinking. That's new, and I don't know. That's that's just been really bizarre. It really does indicate that we have moved past the point of, like, anything true actually mattering. It's just total jump off a cliff. Like, everyone is just super paranoid about everything, and will just lap up any clickbait conspiracy they can. I mean, even if there is a valid argument to be made about, like, if you want to say that, the, you know, these kids are being exploited by some kind of, like, anti-gun groups, that's a, that you can make that argument, but that's not what a lot of these other people are trying to say. They're trying to undermine it in these, like, plain, basically plain footsies with, like, full-on, these kids are crisis actors, like, this is suspicious, like, what is this? This is, like, some kind of false flag. And playing footsie with those people to undermine, you know, this these kids' message. Yeah. Um, and that's just really gross to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then you have Donald Trump. Uh, you know, can you imagine if there was a hammer and sickle on this guy's ammunition magazines? What Trump would probably install martial law um, and round up leftists for internment camps. But because it's, it's a Nazi symbol, no one talks about it. Instead, Donald Trump just writes this bizarre tweet again. Um, during CPAC. And he was like, what man, many people don't understand or can't understand. He's like, Wayne, Chris, and the folks who work so hard at the NRA are great people and great American patriots. They love our country and will do the right thing. Make America great again. And everything's wow. like capitalized randomly because he doesn't know how to so he spell. Just, so he's like simultaneously acting like he was push, you know, not going fully um, on board with the NRA line and then tweeting something like that later on to like try to placate them at the same time. And then he gaslighted everyone by saying um, he never said to arm teachers, you see this, this Infowars story that's like Trump says, suggests arming teachers. And then like the next hour, it's like Trump never said that. I mean, this is just, he's just gaslighting us constantly. You can hear him say it in the conference. He talks about, Oh no, I didn't say arm teachers. I said arm specific teachers who would have special training. Okay. Uh All right. Interesting. Because teachers right now in Oklahoma have to actually work only four days a week because they have to supplement their income with Walmart jobs because they're getting paid so little 
Um, so yeah, maybe we should pay teachers what they're worth before we discuss arming them and giving them special <laughs> ops training. I just can't but believe no, that this mean, is what we're talking about. Yeah, that'll prevent uh, all school shootings. I'm sure that it won't. No random students will die. You know, no, that's that's never going to happen. It's just only going to protect us against mass shooters. Yeah. Just today, a Georgia high school was placed on lockdown and a teacher taken in custody because he started shooting um, and like barricaded himself in the class. Did he shoot himself? Did he actually kill himself? No, he just, there was just gunshots um, on campus and then he barricaded himself. So let's, yeah, let's get all teachers guns, especially when they're not even credited. Like in Oklahoma, they're just uh, allowing all these people who are just like secretaries and assistants who have no training at all because there's so many vacant spots because no one, there's no incentive to become a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just hundreds, if not thousands of vacant spots that it's just like anyone can just be a teacher. So yeah, I guess it's just an easy way to get a gun now. Just be a teacher and then you'll just get a free Glock. Fuck yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's the world it. we live in, let's dude. become a teacher. Is there anything more on, um, more on Parkland that we didn't I mean, cover? just the fact that, uh, after Columbine, 10,000 school police officers were hired just in case a school shooting happened. 20 years later, they haven't stopped a single one. As we know, there were like three security guards on campus that didn't confront the shooter in Parkland. Instead, these these police officers have arrested over a million children, mostly kids of color, of course. So it's just like m- militarized campuses already. Um, yeah. Apparently, just during the 2013 to 2014 school year alone, 70,000 students were arrested, two-thirds people of color. And of course, we know not one case has a school police officer ever uh, stopped a school shooter. So I don't know where this trope comes from, considering that there are already armed guards on campuses pretty much all over. Yeah, I, it's it is very weird to think that just more armed guards are going to help. Yeah, because I mean, I, I mean, that's been a thing for a long time that there's been police on campus. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know how it's going to be seriously addressed. Yeah. You know, the root the root of the problem, because even if let's just even say if this like sort of more gun control, more background checks thing really takes off and then this is the moment that it will really have an impact. I don't think that that's really that's still not addressing the root of the problem. Like gun. Yes, guns are here are a problem. I'm not going to deny that. But that's this is not the root of what's happening here and why this keeps happening. I, I think it just deserves a lot more. But I mean, what can you really do to like examine that? I mean, you, you, it's, it just does speak to a very deeply mentally ill society, um, in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that mental illness is an excuse for doing something like this either. I don't know. Yeah. It's very disturbing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting to it have is. this keep happening. I can't even imagine uh, what the families must be going through. But especially with, you know, an addition to their children dying or being, you know, surviving a school shooting. Now they're getting bombarded with conspiracies about their own children as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Must be extremely hurtful. Did you like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos is now selling dick pills on Infowars? Yeah, I loved it. And he actually took one of them on air. They really they really like him over there, it seems like. And he really likes them. Good. It's It's a nice fit, I guess. Seems like Infowars really does just try to suck up whoever's like out of a gig or like not, you know, like it's their book canceled or whatever, like to work for them. It's but like it'd the, be interesting yeah. though. 
What? Oh, I just said it's like the bottom of the barrel where people's careers just go to die. Yeah. But it will be interesting, though, to see pretty much everyone Alex Jones has had a relationship with over the years, close relationship to, has ended up hating him at a certain point. So I'm wondering if any of these new people that he's trying to, you know, like make part of his organization, like now, like Roger Stone, like Milo, like Mike Cernovich, are they eventually going to turn against him at some point and be like, this guy's a fucking like total char- you know, charlatan or whatever. I mean, I, I guarantee you it's going to happen at some point because even though they're charlatans too, it's like Alex Jones is like so much more over the top. Like he's so, he has such a history of being such a pathological liar and like abusive to his employees that it's just a matter of time. Right. For like, this guy's a fucking total lunatic, like abusive motherfucker. Totally. Like, <laughs> totally. Like, oh man. I guess the only thing I wanted to mention is this, just a brief um, headline uh, that, that happened a few days ago is 11 Marines um, were affected in a hazmat incident at Fort Myer near the Pentagon. And apparently uh, a white powder threat letter was sent to this Fort Myer base near the Pentagon. So just another one of these in a string of, you know, mysterious white powder threat letters um, that have been going around recently and been getting a lot of headlines. And that's, you know, that's just odd, obviously, because of my continuing obsession with the 2001 anthrax attacks. And then I guess uh, the newest thing that I read today is that the State Department, Rex Tillerson, um, announced this is that they're launching a $40 million offensive against foreign propaganda. And I believe they mean domestically. So we'll have to see how that shapes out. Well, what is, tell me more about the story. Basically it's in response to, you know, Russian efforts to interfere in our politics. It's to bolster the state department's global engagement center, which was set up at the state during Obama's term to counter foreign propaganda, it says. So this come this announcement came less than two weeks after the indictment of the 13 Russians that Robert Mueller put out. So I remember the Global Engagement Center was originally set up, it says in here, in 2006 to counter terrorist and foreign government propaganda. So I remember it was done, I remember when Obama's administration announced this, it was sort of they were acting like it was done to like combat like Assad's propaganda, like mostly talking about Syria specifically. Um, but this, but now they're they're injecting all this new money into it because they're the State Department is now admitting that Russia interfered with the election. So it's strange still to have like Rex Tillerson, you know, in the State Department admitting this under Trump, while Trump is not really, or Trump is only admitting part of it, you know. Yeah. So that's really I don't know. interesting. That's, it's weird. Damn. What a mess. I guess that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's all that's been happening. You want to help support Media Roots Radio? Please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Media Roots Radio. And you could donate as little as $1. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks so much for listening.